one final time for October. Coming off the weekend, it's the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. And trick or treat, it's a Halloween edition. I am the somewhat capable host. He is our insider. We love uh, all that we get from analysis, insight, breaking news, and more from Dan Rayfield. Good to be with you. I should let the audience know he is not in costume. Neither am I, even though you cannot see us on the podcast. How are you feeling? Not such a great day, TJ, because the Giants, that, that little run they had that was so nice, they got beat up by the Seahawks in the second half of the game. And uh, unfortunately, the winning streak comes to an end. Or you could be in my world where the Buccaneers' best news was they didn't lose on Sunday because they didn't play because they've now they've dropped three straight, didn't play, lost Thursday night, and now we'll get ready to uh, reload next weekend against the L.A. Rams. So there's a little football talk. We did have plenty of boxing, lots to go over from the Jake Paul victory over Anderson Silva, the Lomachenko win over Jermaine Ortiz, Katie Taylor defends again as the undisputed women's lightweight champ. Uh, and William Zapata moving up the ranks was very impressive. We're going to recap all those fights, little news of the week, and much more. Thank you for finding us once again, however you did. Social media link, Big Fight Weekend podcast feed uh, off the Big Fight Weekend website. Dan Substack, the Fight Freaks Unite Substack. We come your way off the weekend recapping things uh, here. You get two for the price of one. Every week we're previewing going into the weekend, the Big Fight Weekend preview. Fight Freaks Unite off the weekend, and a lot of people enjoy this. We get a lot of good feedback from people that love getting both, the preview and the recap. We're here for you, peeps. We're here for you, savages, uh, giving you some insight, giving you some recaps. Uh, and Dan, as always, they need to be following. They need to be subscribing wherever you can find this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, because you will get what if you are following or subscribing? A banner, a bell, a ding, a light, a vibration. So like and subscribe. Yes, please. And rate. And rate, and, rate and review. And there's a couple of people that have rated and reviewed recently. And we need more of you to do that. And maybe we need to bribe you and give something else away. But oh, well, a lot another, of you another contest doing... coming. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig something cool out of my collection. I've got some right. extras up. We'll come up and with something it, else. Just make it, make it better than like two-year-old Halloween candy that you're trying to get rid of that's in a closet or on a shelf or whatever it is. Uh, all I know is we have about four pounds of it as we do this podcast. And I'm hoping enough kids from the neighborhood show up because I've got to get it out of the house. Otherwise, it'll get eaten by me mostly. So <laughs> when it comes to the Halloween candy, so we are all loaded up. We're ready. Uh, we're ready to go. So let's get into the recap mode. Let's start with uh, Jake Paul. This one probably had the most interest, no disrespect to Lomachenko, no disrespect to Katie Taylor over in England. This one probably has the most interest. I'll be curious to know when you do the reporting on how well did the pay-per-view do for Showtime and for MVP promotions, et cetera. We know the arena had over 14,000 tickets sold. There was a lot of buzz online. It was trending every which direction uh, for Paul's win. Okay, a good scrap, an eight-round fight. 47-year-old Anderson Silva came to fight, hung in, was still battling the younger Jake Paul. Uh, Paul did score a knockdown, I thought, for a moment. Maybe we're going to get a stoppage in the final round against maybe a tired Anderson Silva, to his credit. That didn't happen. Okay, Dan, uh, pick it up from there. Your thoughts on Jake Paul's latest win capping that Showtime pay-per-view. I thought that Jake Paul did a good job. Uh, I thought Anderson Silva, like you said, he fought his heart out, but at 47, he's just not what he was. And as we've discussed plenty, although he is uh, involved heavily in training for boxing and has been serious about it for the last few years, he's not a full-time boxer or he has become lately, I guess, but he has so much background in other uh, forms of combat sports that he is not at a certain level. But then again, his opponent in Jake Paul has only been fighting boxing for like two plus years. I mean, this is a guy that had never boxed until he picked up those gloves a couple of years ago, had one amateur fight, 
and has been making his way up the ladder, just doing it in a much bigger spotlight than your average uh, fighter that turns professional. I've seen so much hatred for Jake Paul that I find to be mind boggling. While he doesn't deserve to be in a pay-per-view main event, he's taken away the spotlight from these younger fighters. He doesn't deserve this, fight a full-time boxer, that. All I know is Jake Paul, by all accounts, works very hard. He trains, he takes it seriously, he comes in shape. And it is not his fault that because he had fame from other avenues in his life, whether it was YouTube or being on TV or uh, other social media things, that people are interested in him. They, they buy the tickets to attend his events. They buy the pay-per-views. Any young fighter would want that if they could do so. He's doing everything in the spotlight in what is in essence his amateur career. People should just relax. He's not expected to fight top guys. And I dare say in your sixth professional fight with basically two, two and a half years or so of experience as a boxer, you're now fighting Anderson Silva. And I don't care if he's not a full-time boxer. Anderson Silva uh, in your sixth fight under any circumstances, it's pretty impressive, even if he is 47 years old. And by the way, coming off of a knockout of Tito Ortiz, granted an MMA fighter, and a, a pretty impressive decision, Victor, against Julio Cesar Chavez that were both last year. So it's not like he had two big wins and took two years off, or whatever. He's been active. He's been doing his thing. And uh, I just think that Jake Paul uh, should get some respect from more people. I'm not saying, TJ, that he's uh, ready for fighting for a title or he should be ranked or this or that. I'm just saying this is a guy that works his ass off. He's putting on entertaining events. Uh, he's bringing shine and some spotlight to some of the people on the undercard, whether it was the kid Ashton Silve or, or in previous events, uh, uh, Amanda Serrano, Montana mm -hmm. Love before that. I mean, give the guy a break. I mean, what do you want from him? It's like he said, if if I walked on water, uh, you know, they, they tell me I can't swim. You know, that's his, his perspective on it. And so uh, I have a lot of respect for what Jake is doing, and it was a good fight. And I'm not shilling either here on this. Uh, I'm just saying, as he pointed out in the ring, he was trying to fight Tommy Fury, who's had 10 professional fights as twice. a boxer, as a cruiserweight, twice. twice. He was trying to fight Haseem Rachman, who's bigger as a heavyweight with a weight deal that Rachman couldn't figure out, who had had 13, also undefeated. Right, 13, 14 pro fights. So it's not as if earlier this year he wasn't trying to fight a boxer. He's, he is correct. It is accurate that that's what he was trying to do. And so that takes us to the next level here. That has to be next at some point, doesn't it? I mean, he's going to have to find somebody in 2023 of a little more credibility that is a boxer. That's the next That's the next logical step here, right? You yes? Would, you would think so, yeah. I mean, like you said, he's tried to, and it's not his fault that Tommy Fury backed out twice. It's not his fault that Hasim Rockman Jr. refused to agree to to adhere to the contract that they signed and nobody put a gun to his head and forced him to do that. And so, you know, he's doing what he's got to do. So perhaps they'll revisit the Fury fight, which I don't really quite get what all the hoopla is. It might be a big deal in the UK, but in the United States, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, I doubt we'll see them do the Rockman fight again. Too much uh, situation there. And it's not that big of a fight anyway, I don't think. But he'll fight a boxer at some point. I mean, obviously, after the fight, he was calling out Nate Diaz, which would be a pretty big fight. Um, he was calling out Canelo Alvarez. I mean, I can appreciate the, uh, <laughs> you know, the delusions of grandeur, but uh, that ain't going to happen, obviously. Um, but I can't knock the hustle, man. I, I respect Jake Paul a lot for what he's been doing. And uh, people think, oh, you know, Raphael, you're you're the supposed to be, uh, you know, the conscience of boxing somehow. You're the purest. I'm like, you know what? As I've said many times, there's there's a big tent for a lot of people to be involved and put on different events. And just because you might enjoy watching a Jake Paul fight doesn't in any way take away from enjoying a Lomachenko or some other great fighter. 
And can I just join in here? I'm your tag team partner. Tag me in. This is not the goofy celebrity boxing with the headgear on where he's fighting Horshack from Welcome Back Cotter or somebody <laughs> else. This ain't that. This was legit. Now, from a um, uh, nuts and bolts part of it, uh, I will I will offer a criticism. See if you join in with me. I, I think when you're fighting a 47-year-old guy and you've got advantages, especially stamina, other things, he looked at times sloppy to me. He was getting hit a bunch by a 47-year-old older fatigued fighter. He's got to tighten that up when he steps up in competition. Are you joining me on that? Well, I don't disagree. But again, everything that he does in these professional fights is a learning curve. People have to remember. And again, people think I'm somehow like on Jake Paul's payroll. I wish I was getting some of that money, but I'm not. I'm just being real. Okay. This is a guy, like I said, picked up gloves two and a half years ago. He's in his sixth professional fight. He's learning. This is the learning curve. He's basically having his amateur career in front of everybody under professional rules because he started from scratch. Like I said, had one amateur fight. It was like a YouTube fight against a fellow influencer. They did a professional rematch in his professional debut. So, yeah, he is a little sloppy on defense. There's things he can learn, and he's got a, a good training team with him, Danny Smith and, and, uh, and BJ Flores. I mean, guys who know what they're, what they're doing, and uh, he works hard. And, again, it takes time to – you know, to shine the diamond, I guess. Now, I don't know how far he's going to go. He can certainly, you know, the thing about boxing is defense, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's one of those things that you can improve if you just drill, 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 constantly just do it over and over again, as opposed to, you know, becoming a much bigger puncher, let's say, that you can't really teach. You know, you can maybe have certain techniques that might help you get better leverage on your punches, but your power is your power. You usually, you know, I've heard many boxing people say that you're born with it or you're not. Jake Paul actually does have really good, solid punching power in the right hand, um, but he can clean up the defense. Um, six professional fight. No one's forcing anybody to buy these events. No one's forcing anybody to buy a ticket for the events. I'm entertained by it. I enjoy the shtick a little bit. I like, uh, I like uh, the way that he approaches things. Um, he, you know, he takes his spotlight, but he also tries to bring the spotlight to others. Like I mentioned about some of the undercard people, um, you know, before this particular fight, you know, he, he's trash talk with other opponents. He had tremendous respect for Anderson Silva. How could you not given his career, you know, he'll tell you that, uh, and this was part of his, uh, conversations in the press and everything prior to this fight taking place when he was a, a teenager, Anderson Silva was his idol. He said it was the first celebrity that he ever met when he was 14 years old. They, when he was 14 years old, uh, Jake Paul met Anderson Silva and they took a photo together. And so for him to think to himself, here I am, you know, 10 years later, now I'm fighting the guy, you know, he's blown away by it. And I can understand where he's coming from. I've had situations, not the same, but in my own life, well, or things like that, where you like, I can't believe this is happening uh, in relation to covering certain boxers that I've covered after watching them on TV when I was a kid. Um, so to me, there's no, there's nothing negative about what Jake Paul did the other night. I respect it. I wish him good luck in his future endeavors. All right. We'll see where he ends up. And again, they had that. And by the hard. way, one other thing, TJ, yep. he's getting better. Again, we talk about the defense and there's certain mm -hmm. things you want to clean up. If you watch the way he performed against Silva and you go back and watch the way he performed, let's say against Woodley in the previous fight, it's not perfect, obviously, but there's definitely elements of improvement. And that's from somebody that would know. And I watched, uh, some of the, I mean, I obviously was in attendance for the Woodley fight. And again, at times, 
Uh, I'll just say this as, as to offer it at times, he's not busy enough. And that's another thing that they'll probably drill into him as well. Maybe that has to do with stamina, et cetera, because I really believed in this fight, had he been busier, he maybe could have got Silva out of there because Silva Possibly. was bloodied in the nose. Who knows? These are, we're parsing things and we're talking a lot about this fight and we're going to move listen, on. The crowd was loud. The crowd yes. seemed into it when he scored the there were, Hey, there was heat was just crazy. like in the arena in Tampa in December. There was heat against Jake Paul, there was heat against him in that arena in Phoenix. The, the, the crowd was cheering for Silva with anything he did. They were booing Jake Paul when he got introduced. So there was some heat there. If that I have was one criticism, reason to watch there. I have one criticism, and this is not boxing related in terms of Jake's performance, but because it's his company, MVP Promotions, I would like them to see, I'd like to see them do a better job with what they present as an undercard for TV. Uh, I understand that there's going to be certain fights he's going to promote in the young kid Silva that he signed. I understand that they try to make some fights that are going to be more wide ranging, appealing, not to the hardcore boxing person like they did with the or Uriah Hall fight, the MMA fighter taking on Livion Bell, the former NFL running back. I get that. I got no problem with that. But the other fights on that show were really, really poor. So from the non-boxing perspective, in terms of him in the ring with his business hat on, they might look to do a little bit of a better job with their undercurrents. Fair criticism on all of that. Okay, so we put that to bed. You'll report at some point about what I'm sure what the pay-per-view numbers end up doing when you find that out and figure that out. And who knows? Who knows if it did okay, just a little bit. We'll find out. Uh, simultaneous, in fact, it ended before the Paul fight ended. The main event was in the ring. Madison Square Garden's Hulu Theater is where Vasily Lomachenko returned and was successful, although... He had to battle. He had to battle the second half of the fight to beat Jermaine Ortiz. What are your thoughts? He gets the decision win. First fight of 2022. We well-documented war-torn Ukraine. Didn't fight earlier in the year. I came over to the United States, had a good training camp, and now had this fight. You uh, wrote about it, obviously, on your Substack and BigFightWeekend.com. Articulate more on Loma being back and getting a non-title win Saturday night, Dan. Well, first of all, great to see Lomachenko back in the ring. He's been one of my favorite fighters to watch and cover since he turned pro. He's a he's a, a, a freak of nature in many ways in terms of what he's been able to accomplish. He, he legitimately is a great fighter. Uh, he will be a Hall of Famer someday. Um, and I have a lot of respect for what he did. He, he, he turned down or he had the opportunity to go to Australia uh, in June to fight Cambosis for the unified title to try to get back the belts that he had lost uh, in the, in the uh, decision in his previous fight against, or in a, a couple of fights before that against uh, Tifimo Lopez, uh, the deal was done. It hadn't yet been announced. And because of what was occurring in his home country, as he said in the pre-fight to the Jermaine Ortiz fight, he didn't really have a, you know, it wasn't a matter of like making a decision. He just never, never crossed his mind that he was going to not stay and, and defend his country because this country was at war. So he did that. And then I think similar to what happened with Usyk, where there was lots of people saying, look, you know, you can do better for us if you go and fight, bring us joy in your performance, uh, bring the spotlight positively to our country and what we're going through and uh, serve as that sort of spokesman by having your events on an on a, on a international level and being broadcast all over the world. Uh, he and his family went to California back a few months ago. He set up the training camp and he took the fight against Jermaine Ortiz. And I thought that he looked a little rusty. And, uh, you know, Lomachenko, if you follow his career, the, the one sort of negative rap on him, he's never been a fast starter. He always sort of, you know, even more than maybe is necessary. They call it like downloading the information for the first couple of rounds, but sometimes he lets it go more than just one or two rounds. And he kind of gets into a rut in the early stages. Uh, and uh, he seemed to do that a little bit against Ortiz. Now he was very familiar with Ortiz TJ, as they documented, as I wrote about, they had spent five weeks together sparring 
when he was getting ready for his previous fight in December of last year against Richard Comey, uh, uh, Jermaine Ortiz was his main sparring partner. They, they sparred, I was told by somebody involved, about 50 to 60 rounds. So obviously he was um, trying to uh, impersonate the style of Richard Comey uh, and not fighting himself. They're not going full blast. Obviously sparring is not a real fight, but it, you learn certain things. I don't mm-hmm. care what anybody says. You learn certain nuances. You, you, you understand what the size difference is. You understand what the range can be. You certainly kind of see the mentality that they approach a fight. You can look in their eyes and sort of maybe get an idea of what kind of uh, how they are just as a person. And that's that can that can be important in a fight in terms of just the body language. And you, you definitely pick up things in sparring. And if you do 50, 60 rounds with a guy, you're going to come away certainly better equipped knowing that person if you're going to actually fight them for real. So I'm not saying it had a huge impact on what actually unfolded, but it definitely has some relation to what's going to occur in the ring. Can I prompt you with something? And I saw people point this out on social media and I was watching and and let me full disclosure, you were locked in on the Loma fight. I was more locked in on the Paul fight, but I was watching both and I got to see a lot of the Loma fight before the Jake Paul fight began. When he took his robe off Ortiz, I went, whoa. And when I saw both of them, uh, square off uh, for the instructions and then start to fight. Ortiz looked 10 or 15 pounds thicker uh, to is. me on the, I mean, on the rehydration on that. Um, your thoughts on that? Cause that, that was a real risk for Loma to be well, fighting a guy that's going to come in that much bigger than him. But I don't, I don't look at it like that because right. Lomachenko has always been fighting ever since he's been as a lightweight. Anyway, he, everybody he's ever fought since he's moved up to lightweight, it's been bigger than him. That's, that's certainly, did you think uh, this was not, a concern and not uh, somewhat bigger than the other guys he fought. Cause it looked to me like, okay, if Loma, so. if Loma rehydrated and let's say he's 140 or 145, then Ortiz looked 155 or, I mean, he looked thick and bigger. Lomachenko has uh, always been to one to rely on the technique and the skills. And just cause a guy might be a little bit taller or maybe, you know, put on a, a little bit more weight during the course of the, you know, post weigh in to the time you get into the ring. I don't think he's ever really worried about that. Most of the opponents that he has fought, through his career have been bigger than him, uh, mostly. Even when he was at 130 pounds, he fought guys sometimes were bigger. I remember when he fought uh, like Nicholas Walters, for example. I mean, he ended up stopping Nicholas Walters. Nicholas Walters was way bigger than him, it seemed like. Stronger, thicker, broader. And he, and he beat him into oblivion and made him quit because he frustrated him so bad. That was when Lomachenko went on a stretch where he, this, he, he had four consecutive opponents that quit on him in the ring. Nicholas Walters, Jason Sosa, Miguel Mariaga, and uh, Guillermo Rigondeau. Uh, he broke them mentally even more so than he was breaking them down physically. So the size difference uh, doesn't really enter my mind when it comes to Lomachenko because the skills, as they say, from the great philosopher, skills pay the bills. <laughs> and by the way, if you saw Lomachenko in the boxing ring after the fight doing his interview, standing with Devin Haney, which is the likely next fight, they were talking about how they'd like to make that match. Devin Haney towered over him. Now, granted, Devin Haney is now two weeks removed from the Cambosis fight. He's put on all that weight back. He had to be, you know, got to be 20 pounds heavier than Lomachenko, but just in terms of the height, he's probably a good four or five inches taller than him. So interesting. um, Yes. Yeah. yeah, He's faced, he's faced that size disparity many times, but here's the thing about that fight. I think Lomachenko definitely showed his age a little bit. He's still great. Don't get me wrong, but Jermaine Ortiz was young and hungry and had a great first half of the fight. That fight was essentially even up after six rounds. Lomachenko was uh, down on one scorecard. It was tied on the other two scorecards and Instead of waiting even further into the fight to really get his stuff going on, he really picked it up in that second half. And uh, as he picked it up, Ortiz, who doesn't have that kind of experience in that caliber of a fight or had, and had never been 12 rounds before, and, and uh, for uh, 
Lomachenko, that's, uh, you know, water off a duck's back. It's no, no, it's just another day at the office. You know, Ortiz got a little tired, got a little sloppy, and uh, Lomachenko kept on trucking, and he did a hell of a job that second half of that fight. And, you know, he won the fight. I didn't know if it was as, as wide a decision as the 117-111 that one judge had. Right. Uh, I scored the fight seven rounds to five. So, to me, you know, there's always that, like, acceptable range of a fight. I guess 9-3 is maybe the outside of acceptability. I didn't love that. But basically, that was an 8-4, 7-5 kind of fight in favor of Lomachenko. I found very little um, in terms of people I saw their scoring having anything other to say about it. But one thing that people did not, did not argue about was that Lomachenko won the fight. And, and, and you know what? If you're going to lose, there's ever such thing as a good loss. That was a great loss for Jermaine Ortiz because, you know, would you? he made the fight, so it was entertaining, you know, certainly. Uh, he'll get another opportunity. He, by losing a competitive fight against a guy like Lomachenko, he put himself in the picture to have some other significant lightweight fight. So I have no doubt that, uh, you know, because top rank probably has the opportunity to work with him again, even though he's promoted by Jimmy Birchfield, they'll work something out. I'm assuming. And we'll see Jermaine Ortiz back in a, in a, in a, in a solid lightweight fight on a, on a future uh, top rank card. Uh, right. But he there's nothing to be ashamed of come, um, uh, come Sunday or Monday morning after that performance. We'll move on to a couple of the undercard fights and what caught your eye real quick from the ESPN top-ranked show at the Hulu Theater, New York City. Uh, but first, you brought up Devin Haney. He came in the ring afterwards. It was no coincidence that he's there. He is hyping the possibility of a Lomachenko fight. What, what do you know? What's your inkling, not only on that getting done, on when we might see it? What do you think? I'm pretty sure that that fight will get done. Uh, Lomachenko basically said, I'll, you know, I'll bend to whatever he needs. If he needs me to sign a rematch clause, if he wants me to fight him in his hometown, if he wants, you know, whatever he wants, you know, we'll do the fight. I mean, Lomachenko is, if you, if you look at the type of guys Loma has fought over the course of his career, you've never really read or heard that he's a difficult guy to make a deal with. Remember, this is a guy when he signed professional, when he went with top rank and Bob Aram has talked about this to me and others over the years, he didn't go there looking for some giant signing bonus. He got some money. Yeah. He didn't go there looking for some huge minimums in his, in his fights. He got good money. What he wanted from Bob was the assurance that he could get him a title fight in his pro debut. And Bob was straight. He said, look, look, I can't get you a title fight in your first fight, but I can probably do it in your second fight. And so Bob signed him and Bob delivered on the promise. He got him a real solid fight in his professional debut. He won a 10-rounder against a reputable opponent who would come off a good victory. And in his second fight, he got him the shot against Salido, who came in overweight and a very hard fight. It was super close. It was a split decision. Loma performed very well, despite it only being his second fight against a you know, a, 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 a champ, a championship level veteran who'd fought everybody and been in every situation. He got hit low about 50 times and the referee, I was there ringside, did not call the fight. I remember this. I was sitting next to Kevin Ioli at that fight. We were counting the number of low blows that had occurred that night. It was ridiculous. In any event, he learned from that. He then in his next fight, he wiped out Gary Russell, who had like 24, 25 fights and was undefeated, also an Olympian. And so Lomachenko has never been about, you know, he always knew the money was going to be there. He's always been about the glory and about the accomplishment and about the legacy and about the history. And he understands if I want a shot at the undisputed title, which is basically the only thing he hasn't accomplished in his career, uh, that he'll have, he'll give in. So Haney likes hearing that Haney, uh, gave up a lot of privileges and things that he didn't necessarily love to get the fight with Cambosis. And now it's going to, you know, he's going to pay it forward, I guess, in terms of how he's going to approach the negotiations with, uh, Vasily Lomachenko. So you say, when's it going to happen? I suspect, uh, you know, they'll take a, the talks could, could start in the, you know, in, in the next few days, probably. But I suspect that fight will get done. And again, relatively speaking, not the hard fight, not a hard fight to make. Same promoter, same broadcaster. Both sides clearly want the fight. Good fight for both guys. Best fight you can probably make in the division at the moment, given that Loma, that a Lopez and 
Ryan Garcia. They've left the weight class at this time. Um, I just think it's a, it's a dynamite fight between two highly skilled guys, one older, one younger. And uh, I think if it happens, it'll probably be in the early part of the spring next year. Fair enough. Uh, again, we'll move on to Katie Taylor's win and also the William Zapata win on the Golden Boy main event show in a couple of moments. But the top rank undercard, very noteworthy, former U.S. Olympians, prospects. Tell me, uh, I know Richard Torres got a win by KO again. Uh, Duke Reagan got a decision win. What stood out on the undercard real quick in New York? Well, a lot of uh, various, the entire United States men's Olympic team was on the undercard, except for Keyshawn Davis, because he's fighting on the top rank card December 10th on the undercard of uh, Tiafimo Lopez, also in the main arena at Madison Square Garden. But all the rest of the United States Olympians were on this uh, undercard. Um, in the co-feature was the Cuban two-time gold medal winner, Robesi Ramirez. He had a ninth-round knockout against Jose Matias Romero. You know, Robesi Ramirez is a very talented, skilled fighter. That fight was as boring as anything I've seen in a long time mm. until the moment where he decided to put his punches together and he clobbered him in the ninth round and got him out of there. Because when, when Robesi Ramirez comes to fight and decides to step on the gas, he can actually be quite crowd-pleasing and take guys out. Um, for whatever reason, he decided not to do that against Romero, who he knocked down early on. And then I thought the fight might be over quick, but he let him hang around and he worked on whatever he was working on. And, you know, the crowd was falling asleep and I was ready to cut my wrists. And finally, in the ninth round, uh, boom, that was it. Uh, as far as the rest <laughs> of the card, Richard Torres Jr., very exciting heavyweight. I mean, he's going to be a blast to watch. I don't know how far he's going to go, but he's he's hungry. He's in good shape. He, he comes in like a ball of fire and uh, he took out his opponent in three rounds of mud Hefney. Uh, and then the other Olympians you had, like you mentioned, Duke Reagan was a silver medal winner. He won. Uh, he stepped up his competition. I mean, they didn't match, uh, you know, Brad Goodman, the matchmaker at top rank, along with Bruce Trampler. They're not babying Duke Reagan. They match him really solid against Luis LeBron. And, and he put on a good performance. He won a decision. Um, and uh, he may not be the most crowd-pleasing, exciting guy, but he's talented. There's a reason why he won silver in, uh, in Tokyo. So he, he moves to uh, 8-0. They also had the other Olympians, Troy Isley, who I think is like, to me, he's the guy that's like slow and steady wins the race. He's, he's not a big talker. He doesn't have a big personality. He hasn't shown himself to be uh, a guy with a, with a big, uh, you know, um, entourage or I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But he just goes in. They keep matching him tough and he keeps winning. He's, he's a very strong guy, very solid, muscular. He's talked about moving down to a junior middleweight, but he did his fight the other night, still at the middleweight division, took on the very uh, veteran Quincy Lavalier and uh, pitched a shutout on two scorecards, you know, one round, uh, Lavalier one on one scorecard. I thought that was a good learning fight for Isley. Uh, I like him. I think he has a chance. Um, when we look back a few years from now, he may be the guy that he didn't get as much hype as some of his teammates, but he may be a guy that gets to the chance to, you know, gets to a world title potentially. And uh, Delonte Johnson, Tiger Johnson is what he goes by, the 140-pounder, very exciting, crowd-pleasing guy. Uh, won a shutout decision against Esteban Garcia. Good performance. And he's a guy, again, he's young. He's getting in the reps. All these guys have a tremendous amount of talent. They all have a lot of potential. And right now, these fights, they're not fighting top names, but you see the way top rank builds their guys. They've got, in my opinion, by far, it's not even close, the best group of prospects in boxing. You could take the prospect list from all the other major companies and combine them, and top rank probably has more than them. And that's no knock on on the other companies because Golden Boy has prospects and Matrim has prospects and PBC has prospects. Top rank, it's not even close to what they have. Um, and you can see that as evidence. And that was just for part of last night's card. They got a kid, Abdullah Mason, who's a lightweight that was on that undercard last night. Sensational. He's like five and oh now, or, you know, and he's, he's got a tremendous amount of skills. He's like 19 years old. I mean, the kid, I think he's going places big time. He's only 18 years old, actually, my mistake. And he looked very good the other night. 
And so they're just, they just run one prospect out after another. And then Nico Ali was maybe not the biggest prospect. But we've talked about Muhammad Ali's grandson. I've heard that he is Muhammad Ali's grandson. He listened. He was in a tough fight last night <laughs> uh, against Billy Wagner. He won the decision. He got rocked a couple of times, but he pulled through. And again, we don't know how far he's going to go, but he's still winning. Uh, that was definitely a step up for him. It was first time he went six round, uh, the six round distance. They got a kid, Haven Brady, who opened up the show, won a, a lopsided uh, unanimous decision, an eight rounder. He took on an undefeated opponent. So they just they're just loaded right now. I mean, it's just ridiculous the amount of prospects they have. And but that's uh, good. those undercards and ESPN plus, you know, back in the in you know, before streaming existed, you never really got a chance to see those fights unless you were there in the arena. Uh with the advent of streaming services, when you have a DAZN or an ESPN plus or these other outlets, you know, on ESPN plus, they literally show every single fight. So all nine fights you could watch if you cared to. And if you don't want to sit through all nine fights right in the in an order at the same time, and you want to just go back and watch one or two prospects that you're interested in, you just call it up on demand. You can fast forward to the fights you want to see. So I think that's one of the great changes for boxing fans is that advent of the ability to basically watch any fight. We used to be, you just would hear about it. You'd have to wait to read about it in a magazine, or you know, be there or, or be, be there. there. But, but uh, yeah, now you can watch everything. And uh, there's definitely a bunch of guys that they have that are young and interesting to keep an eye on. Love this. Uh, love the insight. All right, let's move on here on the Fight Freaks Unite recap. The matchroom show that was at uh, the Wembley Arena, the OVO uh, Wembley Arena, right next to Wembley Stadium, saw Katie Taylor win in the main event. Looked like pretty full house uh, there for that. Uh, she won, as expected, by decision over her Argentinian opponent, who was bigger, taller, uh, in Karen Carabajal. Uh, she scored the 10-round decision. She was impressive. Uh, landed uh, more significant punches, had the faster hands. Okay, so she gets the win. That was not unexpected. She was heavily favored. And now all the talk is, can we make the Katie Taylor bout with Amanda Serrano? Will Serrano be willing to come to the UK? There's some questions about that if that fight has to be made. All right, so first, a thought on Taylor, and then quickly second on Serrano and when we might get that or if we're going to get that. Look, I mean, Katie did what she does. She went in there and she just pounded out the victory. It was a very um, uh, expected result, the way that she handled it. It was very uh, typical of the way she handles uh, the non-top-level opponents. Granted, her opponent, Carbajal, Carbajal, was undefeated, fighting outside of Argentina for the first time. And she hung in there and she gave a good effort. But Katie was, like you said, much faster hands and just a better technician. And um, there was no way she was losing there. She returned to the, to the Wembley Arena. It was her first fight there or her second fight there in her career, but the first time six years, almost to the day next month will be the anniversary since she turned pro there in uh, back, uh, you know, in her very first fight post the Olympics. So it was kind of a um, part of their story. Like here she is coming home as the, uh, after having beaten Toronto in that tremendous fight and, uh, and fighting in the same place where she had turned pro years ago and has obviously become uh, a very significant fighter on the scene these days. Obviously after the fight, the talk is, a, can we do Serrano? I'm a little skeptical they'll get that done only because there's this terrible lawsuit going on between Jake Paul as Amanda's uh, promoter and Eddie Hearn because of some ill-conceived uh, comments from Jake Paul making accusations about you know bribing judges and that sort of stuff, and he's being sued because of those comments. So we'll see if they can work that out. But the main thing is, and, and Eddie said this <coughs> after the fight, and, and uh, Katie said she wants this. They want to go back and have a fight in Ireland. She's an Irish national hero. She's never fought as a professional in Ireland. As, as, as many accolades as she's had, they want to do the fight in the big 80,000-seat stadium in Dublin. She'll pack the house. The problem is You'll the Irish... this. The name is Croke Park. 
not croak like you're dead. So it's interesting. It's a name croak, C-R-O-K-E, like Coca-Cola is Coke for us, <clears throat> but it's pronounced Croak Park. That's the name of the place. It's a rugby soccer stadium. Do we, I mean, I'm not trying to denigrate her. Do you think she can fill a 70,000 seat stadium in Ireland? You think that's possible? 100%. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Absolutely. I've, first of all, they say it's 80,000. Uh, they'll fill that place up. I mean, there's no question. And here's the thing, though, and this is what I was going to get at. They haven't had real professional boxing in, in Ireland in about five years because the government has basically banned it, in essence, because you have to go back. There was a boxing event taking place in Dublin. There was a shooting at a weigh-in at a hotel that was linked to the Kinahan crime group that supposedly is run by Daniel Kinahan of MTK Global Fame and, and all that business that we know a lot about over the last several months. Uh, and when that occurred, they basically put the kibosh on having pro boxing there. So while Katie was not involved with uh, Kinahan, to my knowledge anyway, she has been prevented from having a fight there. She is by far and away the number one Irish fighter. Uh, and I'm not talking about Northern Ireland, where they have had some boxing. Right. Michael Coleman, for example, fights regularly in Belfast. But in Ireland itself, which is not part of the UK, they haven't had boxing. So she's been on the wrong end of that stick. And so she wants to go and have a fight there. Now, behind the scenes, you know, Eddie Hearn and, 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 and the matchroom people, they're discussing with the government the ability to try to have a fight approved. And hopefully they'll work it out and she'll have the ability to fight in front of her hometown because what a terrible thing to have the great career that she has had and never be able to fight at home and have to be limited to fighting, uh, you know, either in other countries, of course, like in the United States, but in, in other places in, in the UK that's close there, but, you know, fighting in London is not like fighting in Dublin. That's just the bottom line. It's They're English, and she wants to fight in front of the Irish. Simple as that. We'll see if Serrano wants to do that, what's the money, et cetera. Uh, and by the way, I have insight into this, too, because we've written about it on Big Fight Weekend. You wrote about it as well. You've covered the sport, et cetera. There's bad blood, too, because Amanda Serrano felt like that Eddie Hearn did her wrong during the pandemic because he kept um, – stringing along the possibility of the Katie Taylor fight that was going to be at the matchroom headquarters and they couldn't make it happen. The money wasn't good. He reduced the pay. Then he wouldn't let her fight somewhere else and was threatening to sue her. All of that's kind of in the stew pot. They made nice. They had the big fight at Madison square garden. They made whatever they made, but if this is the rematch where you're going to get paid big again, and she's got to come to the UK, you would think she would want to be paid more. I can understand in the soap opera and the subplots, Dan, where that might, be an obstacle. I'm not saying it won't happen. Just your thought real quick on that on working out the money for her to come to the UK. I mean, that's, there's nothing, there's nothing different about working out those uh, particulars as it relates to a rematch with, uh, with those two women, as it would be to work out a fight with anybody. I mean, same kind of stuff with any big fight. So they'll, they'll work it out because at the end of the day, uh, the biggest fight for either of those women is against each other. But here's the difference. There you go. Amanda Serrano cannot fill Madison square guard by herself. Katie Taylor can fill Croke Stadium in, in Dublin by herself. Good point. Essentially. I don't mean by herself, literally, but they can match her basically with anybody and there'll be a massive crowd there. So they don't need Serrano to fight in Ireland to make a lot of money. She can make a lot of money, you know, pick anybody, frankly, you know, just, just somebody okay. in the ratings, maybe a mandatory defense, whatever the case may be. Um, and in the case of Serrano, she's a great fighter, but uh, I dare say there's not another fight that they could put for her at the Garden that would draw even where she headlines. If she's on a Jake Paul co-feature, then obviously it's going to be a sold out arena, but your point well, is I mean, it's, if she's headlining, 
she could headline. I'm not sure who she would headline against. Uh, I'm making this up. Let's say she decided to go uh, and defend her title. Michaela Mayer has talked about dropping down to 126. Mm-hmm. It's possible that they could do a big crowd. They wouldn't do 20,000 sellout, but it's a big enough fight and it would get enough publicity where they could potentially put it in the main arena. Not every main arena fight sells out. There's plenty of fights that I've been to at Madison Square Garden where they've drawn 10,000, 8,000, 11,000. They could put it in the theater, which would probably sell out at you know 5,000 plus. Um, the point is, though, for the biggest possible event for her to have is fighting Katie Taylor. For Katie Taylor, she could have a big event fighting basically anybody. All right, good enough. Uh, by the way, real quick, uh, Kiko Martinez did get a win over Jordan Gill, got a knockout oh, win there. Baby. Yeah, I mean, he uh, at 36 seems to have found the fountain of youth with the big punch anyway, at least uh, is relevant there. So. Kiko Martinez is one of those guys. He's got 11 losses, been around forever, won titles at 122. Won a title at 126, been the European champion, fought everybody. And just when you think he's all done, he comes up with this situation. He wins. I was there in Atlantic City years ago when he won unexpectedly the title or a title at 122 pounds. He was a heavy, heavy underdog taking on Jonathan Romero uh, on, on an HBO card on a, on a under, you know, on like the co-feature that night. And Romero was expected to be, you know, to run through him like a knife through butter. He was hot. And guess what happened? Kiko Martinez knocked him out in the sixth round and won the IBF title at 122. That was back 10 years ago. That was August of 2013. And he's had ups and downs. He's lost to guys like Frampton and Scott Quigg and Leo Santa Cruz and then won against like the regular guys in between. And then he got beat by Josh Warrington very badly when they had their fight their, uh, in, their, in, their, in their first fight and then even worse in their second fight. But he also ended up upsetting Kid Galliard to win a title. And coming off of the loss to Warrington that followed that title victory, he's fighting Jordan Gill, who, you know, was 27 and one or whatever going into the fight. Uh, younger man, European champion. And, you know, Kiko Martinez is the underdog. I think he was a three to one betting underdog. Mm-hmm. And Kiko didn't just win the fight. Kiko pretty much dominated and, and scored two crushing knockdowns in the fourth round and got the victory. And he's the, he reminds me, he's like the Spanish version of Glenn Johnson. Terrible record but always comes to fight, going to win some, going to lose some, going to pull an upset occasionally, and just keeps on trucking. And, and you got to love Kiko Martinez. All right. Fair enough. There you go from the undercard. Well, let's close it out on the Fight Freaks Unite recaps uh, with the William Zapata win over uh, Jojo Diaz. This was the Golden Boy main event, San Diego, California. Again, we have gone everywhere from the Phoenix area, Glendale, Arizona, to New York, to London. Now we go to San Diego. Zapeda victorious on a decision, a 12-round decision over uh, Jojo Diaz, former 130-pound IBF world champ. Uh, Zapeda was impressive in, in this. Very impressive. All right, so give me your thoughts here and, and a, a quick thought on the future also for him. I thought he was going to stop Joseph Diaz. That was my prediction before the right. fight. I think a lot of people might have thought that Diaz would be able to outbox him. But uh, I've been on William Zapata for a while now. I've watched some of his fights. He's impressive. He's got power. Um, he's not a big talker. He doesn't speak English. He's, he just goes and does his job, and he's exciting to watch. You don't see a lot of southpaws with the kind of punching power that he has, but he's got good power in the left hand. He's now 27-0 with 23 knockouts. Obviously, a lot of those fights are against just, you know, average type of type, you know, opponent type opponents in Mexico you know, where he's expected to do that. But when he has stepped up a little bit, he still looked pretty good in the types of, uh, of wins. I'll give you an example. Like there was a fighter that, that was coming up. There was a prospect that was undefeated that people were making a big deal about from San Antonio named Hector Tanahara. And 
he fought him. And that was at a time when Zapata was really not known by anybody. This is back, uh, I think, in 2021, at the, in like the summer uh, during the pandemic. And he knocked him out. And that was kind of a surprise to people. And he just has kept on going since then. He has the win over Alvarado in a, in a, in a, in a decision. Uh, and then when he gets matched up with Jojo Diaz, who has been off for a while, but was coming off of uh, a credible loss to Haney. You know, it wasn't like he got beat down or lost terribly. He lost a decision, but he had some moments. And, uh, and Jojo was looking to get back towards, you know, another world title. And, you know, I credit Jojo Diaz. He's, he'll fight pretty much whoever. He's not a guy that picks and chooses uh, uh, and, and runs from guys. But, uh, you know, he tangled with the wrong guy in Williams Zapata. I'm not surprised that he won the fight. I thought he looked really good. It was a one-sided decision. I didn't get to see that fight live, TJ. As you know, we were juggling the mm-hmm. fights on Saturday. So I spent some time. Uh, on Sunday afternoon before I got involved in the football games, uh, catching up and watching uh, uh, most of that bout. And, uh, you know, the scores were on the money. Two scores were 119 to uh, uh, 109, and the other was 118 to 110. They seemed on the money. Um, Listen, William Zapata is, the old saying goes, going to be a problem for people in the lightweight division because he was so impressive. His golden boy is going to probably have to do a thing where they're going to have to get him into a mandatory position and that's hard also because at the moment, all the belts are consolidated with Devin Haney. So his best possibility of getting a world title is assuming that Haney and Lomachenko fight each other come the springtime of 2023. You know that whatever happens, win or lose that fight, it would be totally shocking if Devin Haney stayed at lightweight. He's bursting at the seams. He's been at that weight forever. He's 23 years old. He'll have accomplished the undisputed. He's now defended the undisputed against Kombosis. He's going to try to defend it against Lomachenko. But win or lose, uh, he's going up and wait. So, and with Lomachenko, if he wins, you know, we'll see what happens. But there'll be mandatories, and it's just the way it happens. Some belts will become vacant, most likely. And so the choice uh, or the chance will be there for Zapata potentially if his team can position him to maybe get into one of those vacant title fights. Um, because no one's going to want to just fight this guy. He doesn't bring huge money. You know, he, he doesn't bring a huge resume. But he brings a lot of danger, and he's the kind of guy where if you if you lose to him, people are like you lost to who? I never heard of that guy. But there's also a good chance that he kicks your ass. All right, fair enough. Uh, there's the Golden Boy Show and the main event from Saturday night, and Zapata obviously had the hand raised. Oscar De La Hoya all smiles uh, for that. So let's wrap it with a couple of news items. One very interesting back to the New York top rank show Alexander Usyk was there his first recent comments at least uh, on US TV etc uh, in recent weeks about the possible future he did say uh, through an interpreter that he would he would entertain a Tyson Fury fight and maybe in something like February or March what are your thoughts here seeing him and hearing that possibility for Usyk who has three of the belts well first of all people should know that the reason he was there in New York is because Lomachenko is one of his best friends, if not his best friend. They were Olympic teammates. They have the same manager. Um, for a long time, Usyk was trained by Papachenko, which is uh, Anatoly Lomachenko, which is uh, uh, Vasily's father. They have a very close relationship. They both uh, gave up fights at that time uh, back in uh, the early part of the year to stay in Ukraine and both joined uh, various aspects of the military in terms of uh, protecting the country. So that's why that he was there. He also had just done a benefit that was organized by his manager, Egis Klimas, who also was the Lomachenko manager, where they raised a lot of money at a, at a sort of a black tie affair at a fancy hotel in Beverly Hills to, uh, you know, help raise money for, for Ukrainian relief. In any event, uh, he did the interview uh, with Mark Kriegel on the ESPN Plus uh, between undercard fights. And yeah, he said about, well, it was kind of confusing because at one point he's like, 
asked about Tyson Fury's uh, forthcoming fight against Derek Chisora, which we've all dumped all over. And he kind of laughed and was like, didn't understand. And then made the point, well, he's running for me. But then it wasn't but a couple of sentences later, he says he thinks they will fight. That's the fight he wants. He said it after the victory against Anthony Joshua in August that his next fight had to be against Tyson Fury. He didn't want to fight anybody else. He wants to fight for the undisputed title. Remember, he was undisputed for belt champion at cruiserweight. His goal has always been to be undisputed at heavyweight. I'm going to go on a tangent for a second here. Back a couple of years ago, I was doing an interview with him, and this was as he was preparing. I believe it was to fight uh, in the heavyweight division. He was just coming up, and he had already been cruiserweight undisputed. <clears throat> he had vacated the titles, and now he was, I think it was when he was going into his first heavyweight fight against Chaz Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. And I did an interview with him, and we were, you know, through the translator, and he was basically talking about how his idol was Evander Holyfield, who had become in the three belt era the undisputed cruiserweight champion, and then moved up to heavyweight, won several fights at heavyweight, and then eventually defeated Riddick Bowe and became the, or I take that back, defeated Buster Douglas uh, coming off the Tyson uh, upset in the undisputed heavyweight champion. And so what he said to me, and this is not, it's like I'm the only one he ever said this to, his goal was I want to be the undisputed cruiserweight champion as a professional and the undisputed heavyweight champion as a professional. He's done it at cruiserweight and he's one fight away potentially from also doing it at heavyweight which would be in four belt era which obviously is impressive because of the hard uh, road that it takes to get to that level um and so he wants that fight so i hope that that can happen we'll see what happens with fury and chisora and if they can make a deal the good thing about making fury versus Usyk is that Usyk is not encumbered by any broadcast deals he his he is his own promoter in essence with k2 promotions they're they're sort of independent they're not aligned with anybody in particular agus Clemus, his manager has had a long-standing quality business relationship with top rank and bob arum uh, as i said they, they signed lomachenko together and as a matter of fact this also comes to my mind back at the time they were signing lomachenko i remember being on the telephone with bob arum who had lomachenko and agus Clemus and his good friend alexander Usyk at his house in beverly hills and they were, they were signing the paperwork for the Lomachenko deal. So Bob and I were talking about him signing the two-time gold medal winner, Vesely Lomachenko. And Bob was talking about how there was also the possibility they might sign Usyk. And Bob ultimately thought he was talented, but they passed. And the reason they passed was because Bob just didn't feel like he could do anything really with a cruiserweight in the United States where he could really build him into an attraction or make him money. And basically said, you know what you should do is go back signed with K2, which at the time was run by Vitaly Klitschko and his team, and fight in Ukraine and build yourself up there, which is what he ultimately did. Interesting. And if Bob, if Bob knew today that he had passed on a guy that was going to be the undisputed cruiserweight champion <laughs> and also uh, one step away from being the undisputed heavyweight champion, he might have uh, decided to make the signing. But in any event, he is the co-promoter for Fury. There's really nothing that stands in the way of making Fury against Usyk. The sanctioning bodies, I believe, will all cooperate. Fury has no WBC mandatory to deal with because he did it against Dillian White. Um, the, the other sanctioning bodies, I believe, will allow that. You know, if in the IBF, if you ask for the unification, at least by a certain deadline, they will approve it. That's in their rules. The WBO is not going to stand in their way. The WBA might make noise about him of, uh, having to fight uh, Daniel Dubois. I believe, though, that in the end, they'll allow the unification. Uh, and so, you know, the WBO already did the interim title with the Joe Joyce fight. So they're free and clear on, on that respect. Point is, there's no reason for that fight not to happen. He mentioned the time frame, February, March. He mentioned possibly Saudi Arabia, uh, which is where it would seem to be headed. The point is, 
Uh, as long as everybody stays healthy, and as long as Derek Chisora doesn't get lucky and hit Tyson Fury on the chin and knock him out or something like that, uh, I think we're going to have a very good chance of seeing the Undisputed Championship. Well, and then, of course, hard. the next day, somebody will vacate or it'll get stripped and we'll be Still, back. To that's the fight we want right mm -hmm. now. Let's see if we can't get that. And he seemed to indicate that it could be, I mean, if, if Fury disposes hypothetically of Chisora quickly and we could get that thing in March, I don't think February is realistic, but what do I know? Probably not. But March, something like that. I'd love that. If we can get it quicker, like not wait until next June if we're doing yeah. requests uh, on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. Almost done here. You wanted to update the WBO convention is concluded coming off the weekend. Two or three news items real quick that the public should know about, about championship fights and some of the stuff they decided. Go ahead. Sure. So they had their annual convention in, in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, which is, happens to be where they're based. And uh, anytime you go to the organization's conventions, they also do a lot of stuff as far as their mandatories and they approve certain fights and all that kind of thing. And um, the WBO did make several moves that uh, are notable uh, that they set that were sort of maybe thought would happen, but now it's official. So Junto Nakatani, for example, who is the WBO flyweight champion, he vacated his title. Why is that important? Now he has a fight scheduled, uh, that's coming up. That's going to be in the junior band and weight division, but it was not clear if he was going to vacate and he was just kind of dip his toe into that weight division, but he has officially vacated. And what that did is, as we spoke about, why did Bam Rodriguez vacate the WBC's uh, title at uh, junior band and weight to go down to the flyweight division. And he was at the port at the convention in Puerto Rico because he was lobbying the WBO to be the fighter that would be in the vacant title fight. So they have approved, Bam Rodriguez to fight for the vacant WBO flyweight title. His opponent will be Christian Gonzalez, who was rated number one by the organization. Obviously, they still have to make a deal and potentially be a purse bid, but it should be Bam Rodriguez against Gonzalez to fill uh, the official uh, vacant title now that Nakatani has resigned that belt and is going to the 115-pound division. Another fight that was approved that is going to take place on December 31st in Tokyo is uh, a very good fight, by the way. It's Ioka against Joshua Franco to unify uh, their two uh, titles the WBO gave their approval. Uh, they have a done deal. That fight is, uh, it hasn't been like officially announced, but the WBO's approval is significant. And I'm sure that uh, the, first of all, I'm told that uh, that deal is signed and probably in the, you know, in the coming days, you'll see an official announcement that that fight is on. And that's a good fight. And if people follow boxing, they know the popular time uh, for big time fights in Japan is on that new year's week. They have, it's a regular thing, new year's Eve uh, and new year's week to have major championship fights. So that will take place on uh, New Year's Eve. Part of that is because it's not their calendar. It's not the same calendar, not the exact same calendar. And they do it midweek a lot of the time. And they've got a championship fight coming, what, Tuesday? They well, they still fight. fight the I mean, January, January 1st is still New Year's in Japan. I understand that, but they're, they're celebratory parts of it. I'm just, uh, I'm just. Well, whatever. Uh, the bottom line is they do. They like do the, the U.S. promoters stay away from that by and Correct. large, but not in, in Japan. In Japan, it's become a tradition. It has become a bigger tradition. So and another yes, thing. Yeah, go ahead. Another thing that was notable, and, and we spoke about this also, about the prospect of the Oscar Valdez versus Emmanuel Navarrete fight. And I speculated that there was probably a likely chance it would be for the Shakur Stevenson vacant WBO 130-pound title. In fact, uh, they will fight uh, in February, on February 3rd. It will be, it, it, the WBO approved it for the vacant title, and they will do that match. If, if Navarrete loses, he certainly can come back to 126 and maintain his featherweight title most likely win or lose will stay at 130 because the reason he's going up in the first place is because of the hard time he's had in the last couple of fights making 126 pounds but the reason why that's besides that fight being notable on its own for that vacant title 
is the aspect of what happened on Saturday in New York City with Robesy Ramirez winning his fight by knockout against Romero. He will fight later in February against the former 122-pound title holder, Isaac Dogbay. And they, assuming Navarrete stays at 30, win or lose, that fight will be for the vacant WBO 126-pound title. So that's why it was important for Ramirez to get by it. So he will get that title shot, um, as will Isaac Dogbay, with an opportunity to win a belt in a second weight division. And the other thing that they made the point of is that in terms of the WBO, uh, Lomachenko is the mandatory for Devin Haney. So uh, it will be considered a mandatory fight, which means. And, and Janabek, <laughs> by the way, is the other one is Janabek and uh, Munguia, or what's the other one? What's the oh, other so one? yeah. So, so Janabek has the fight coming up against Denzel Bentley later, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in November. Um, if he wins that fight, his next fight, the WBO says, has to be the mandatory defense. The mandatory now, according to the WBO, is Jaime Munguia. And, of course, we ripped on Jaime Munguia and Golden Boy for making one of the shittiest fights in the world a couple of days ago. <laughs> right. uh, the question now is, if he if he beats that guy like he's supposed to, will he actually man up and fight Janabek? We'll see. We'll find out. Get him a bigger fight. We'll find out if well, that's the case. Thing, by the way, they also said, the WBO, that Virgil Ortiz Jr. has now been officially appointed as the mandatory challenger for Terrence Crawford's welterweight title. Okay. So if he's not, so he's going to fight David Avanesian uh, in, uh, you know, before the end of the year, supposedly. And if they don't make a fight with Errol Spence, it looks like he would be asked to fight Virgil Ortiz. We like all of those things. We like all of those things. Good news, good info, good recaps here. We hope all of you enjoyed it. Um, again, coming off a busy, busy weekend. We look forward to everything, including fight week this week for Zerto Ramirez and Dimitri Bivol in the Middle East, among other bouts that we'll be writing about that you can read about on bigfightweekend.com, Dan's Substack as well. We'll have a big fight weekend pre uh, preview headed into the weekend. Uh, don't go crazy on uh, on Halloween. Favorite candy for you before we're gone? Favorite candy for you? Pop quiz? Uh, uh, boy, that's a tough one. I would say uh, if you had a pick, Got to go with the old standby. Got to go with the peanut M&Ms. Peanut M&Ms for you. Butterfinger for me. I love the Butterfinger. I love the Butterfinger ice cream. I love the Butterfinger milkshake. So like I said to you, we better be giving out a lot of this candy because if they, if we have a lot of those mini Butterfingers, guess who's going to end up eating them? I need them out of the house. I think my wife bought, and we'll give these out because we have a neighborhood filled with kids, so we don't usually have a lot of that left over. We have, I believe, little mini packets of Sour Patch Kids. All right. Gotta love us. If you like the Good food enough. candy, you can't beat a sour patch kid. Good enough. Everybody be safe with the trick-or-treaters on Halloween. We're good on the recap podcast. Dan Rayfield, have a great week. Thank you, sir. You bet, TJ. And we thank you for being with us again. Follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. to the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. That's where you find the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. We are back next weekend. On the preview mode on Friday, coming out Friday, recap mode off the weekend right here. For Dan Rayfield, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us on Fight Freaks Unite. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose, 
They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.